Welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. Do it. (laughs) <laughs> we decide on the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes uh, every month, of which uh, we now got four or five going. So yeah. there's for new subscribers, there's a back catalog of episodes for you guys to enjoy, including things like RoboCop. Yeah, we got RoboCop, Terminator. Videodrome. Heat. Oh, yeah, Videodrome. Uh, that was an excellent some, one. some good ones back there. Uh, and again, that's all future bonus episodes as well, which there are two of a month. Uh, speaking of which, we do have one new patron since last week to thank, uh, Julian Kopkus. Thanks uh, for joining thank us on this uh, sleazy journey. Uh, that's your plug for the week. Oh, iTunes. Other than <laughs> iTunes, I, every week, I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it one day. If you guys listen to us on iTunes, which, you know, I see the stats. I know some of you do. Head on over to uh, the iTunes area and give us a good old rating and review over there. Helps us uh, find more people in the lovely iTunes world. And we'll read your review as well. And we'll read your review if you write a little review. But that's your plug for the week. Uh, Free listeners, you guys would have last heard from us two weeks ago. Uh, We would have been talking to Jacob Knight of Birth Movies Death. uh, And he was on to talk 1980s Cruising starring Al Pacino. Uh, Good old uh, (laughs) the serial killer procedural in uh, the uh, S&M gay bar scene. Pretty wild film. Uh, And we also talked about Vice Squad by Gary Sherman, which... uh, Jacob with Winghauser. With Winghauser. Giving it. Doing a powerhouse performance. <laughs> and Jacob makes a really good case for that film. And yeah, maybe a, maybe an exploitation classic. Yeah. So if you haven't heard that one, go check that one out. Uh, but patrons, you guys would have last heard from us last week uh, where we talked Rocky Horror Picture Show and Little Shop of Horrors, a good old sci-fi comedy horror musical, like all the genres you can think of. That's those films. Uh, and so lead, but that if, so if you haven't heard that one, Go check that one out. Patrons, you're paying for it, so go check it out. And if you aren't, yeah. go become a patron. Uh, it's these always podcast uh, over there, and you can get that episode. Uh, but this week is is sort of going to be led into from last week where we were talking musicals. This yeah. is, these are going to be films sort of about musicians uh, with special guest Karen Hahn. Karen, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Oh, thanks for coming on. So we got two films that you brought with you this week. So which ones are they and why have you paired them together? Um, so the double feature that I've picked out is uh, Brian De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise and Giuseppe Tornatore's The Legend of 1900. And the reason that I paired these two is that they're both uh, about musicians and about music 
um, in a way that's kind of inextricable from the movie itself. And I've been obsessed with music and movies for a long time. Like the first movie that I remember seeing is Amadeus. And apparently the first movie that my parents took me to (laughs) is the Lion King. So music and movies has always been a huge thing for me. So it felt like a good uh, pair up. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, I hadn't seen legend of 1900, uh, but it was, it was, it was a fun watch and it was fun to see, uh, that clearly (laughs) not very many people in general have checked these films out. Yeah. Yeah. I just looked up the, uh, the box office and it was like a, a $9 million budget and like 250,000 at the U S box office anyway. I'm not sure about worldwide. And it clearly didn't do the, uh, the awards season progression (laughs) that the, uh, filmmakers and maybe some of the, uh, financial backers expected it to do like his previous film film uh cinema paradiso yeah right but uh obviously we we had to cave because we haven't talked brian de palma yet on the show and brian de palma is going to be a filmmaker over the course of it that is going to be appearing a lot because if there's anyone who managed to bring exploitation into the studio system and managed to popularize it brian de palma is one of those names so yeah, this is going to be a real fun episode to do. So yeah, I guess with that being said, I guess we we jump right into it. Phantom of the Paradise? Let's do it. Man, you better get yourself a castrato for this. Paul Williams as Swan. And the angels that defeated them. I want you to stop terrorizing the paradise and rewrite your cantata. And the Phantom. There really is the Phantom, Phantom, Phantom. All right, we are talking Phantom of the Paradise, the 1974 film directed by Brian De Palma. Uh, So titled because it is sort of a rock opera version of the Phantom of the Opera um, with also elements of uh, Faust, which is obviously an old classic tale and also a very popular uh, German expressionist silent film from back in the day, which anyone who's, you know, went back and, and dove into film history will at some point have to check that one out. Um, I have to. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you mentioned even before we even wanted to do this film that you uh, you wanted to check out a version of Faust, right? Yeah. I've just always been fascinated by the whole, you know, sell your soul to the devil for for gain or whatever. And this is definitely one of the early stories to popularize that. Exactly. Uh, But the film stars uh, William Finley as uh, Winslow Leach, who is a sort of up and coming uh, pianist uh, and musician who is kind of writing from the soul. He saw the story of, uh, of, of Faust and for some reason he kind of related to it, maybe because the industry itself sort of plays that way uh, or at least the industry that he sees. Uh, (laughs) For for the most part, I would say it's, 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 Accurate, at least in the metaphorical sense. <laughs> yeah, and I, I guess we'll kind of just start at the beginning of this one, and we'll work our way through it because this this opens kind of kind of interesting with a group called hilariously called the Juicy Fruits. Yeah, doing kind of like a greasy hair doo-wop number. Yeah, kind of like something you hear off of uh, Little Shop of Horrors or whatever. Those kind of like, doo-wop, ooh, that kind of, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's what's most telling about the scene is that it's kind of it's really uneasy 
even though the music isn't really supposed to be because the guys are clearly putting on this sort of like plastic rendition of it. And then they just start like assaulting the audience and like, (laughs) and what I found interesting too, is as soon as they end the song, they just kind of like look up and just wait for total approval before anybody applauds before anybody does anything, you know? Yeah. Like like the audience has no response to the actual music. It isn't until Swan. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Who is the uh, producer character who we, you know, will eventually see as a little bit more nefarious than even a usual producer is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, played by Paul Williams, who I believe also did all the music for the film, which is an interesting yeah, turn did. of events. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Karen, why don't you walk us through some of uh, y- your thoughts on the early moments of this one? <laughs> I mean, I totally agree because the song itself, if you just listen to it like off the soundtrack, it does present a different vibe than when you're watching the scene because like they assault the people who are around there, but especially like the women in the crowd, which is very weird. And then um, immediately kind of setting the tone with uh, Swan being the designated arbiter of good taste where like nobody cheers until he says that um they can and then it goes right into that weird discussion with philbin about uh with philbin like complaining that the girl that he'd uh, made a star was no longer like returning his calls or whatever and trying to do good and because <laughs> philbin doesn't like that swan is like okay i'll take her down and then that's it which is insane i love that he has a great line too where he says apparently the court said i was a disgrace because i tried to sign her to a life contract yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> apparently yeah like clearly no regard for for actual people and they set that up pretty early on with a a kind of close-up on on his face with with the the cameras and the position of swan and the position of power Mm-hmm. And you can see Winslow kind of uh, just very quietly and humbly setting up his piano uh, in the background, uh, in which he starts performing one of his his original. A great. Although song. I do love that you can always you can tell from the beginning that he does have a lot of ambition because like during Goodbye to Goodbye, you see him pasting his name <laughs> over the yes. Juicy Fruits poster so that they, everyone knows that he's also playing. Yeah. Win- Winslow is not, is a, it is a dude who doesn't get let off the hook by the movie, which is a really interesting mm-hmm. choice yeah. uh, to make in a, in a, in a story like this, but it, it does I feel work. Like the classic De Palma though. Oh yes. De Palma, De Palma has a weird sort of irreverence for everyone. <laughs> Every character. Yeah. <laughs> No one gets away. But what, what, what's the scene that follows that one? Um, right after that, I think it's Winslow goes up to uh, Swan's compound, and because uh, Philbin says, or while when while Winslow's playing, um, Swan tells Philbin to shut up and says he likes Winslow's music. So Philbin goes to get it, um, and then the uh, hassle ensues where Winslow tries to get Swan to return. Oh his call. yes, because because the dude just says we just want to buy a couple singles off you. And he's yeah. like, I'm writing a whole story, no, a whole cantata. 20 pages long. <laughs> yeah. Like you can't just perform a single and expect Typical it to artist. mean anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the guy has a line, something on the lines of like, nobody cares what it means. Yeah. Like they just, yeah. you yeah. hear a song, you like it. Like, I've literally been told that in the studio, yeah. by the way, from certain producers is that oh, no yeah. one, no one gives a shit dude about the lyrics. Like just, just get the right. Yeah. I knew that this would have a unique touch for Jamie who is an aspiring (laughs) musician in a band right now who spends a lot of time dealing with, uh, trying to deal with record labels right now. Luckily it's no real devil trying to take my soul, but it's close. Feels that way sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
<laughs> but yeah, so Winds so Swan, uh, the dude ends up taking a couple songs uh, of of Winslow's, and they just kind of run off with them. And I think it's like yeah. a month later that Winslow comes up to his building and is just like, "Hey, you know, they took a couple of my songs. They said they were going to get my career started." And then she, <laughs> the secretary has this great moment. De Palma is really funny, and I think that that's one thing that needs to be uh, understood about this movie is that because it goes to some dark places, but it's a really funny movie. There's always a tongue in cheek element to it. It yeah. seems like even when they're, I mean, th- they get really dark where it comes to like, uh, we'll get to it a little more depth but when you know there's uh swan who's in a like just in a circle like a giant desk that's a, a death record yeah, it's like or a whatever. ufo that or something yeah. so good yeah, yeah it's so creepy it's just like dude why is this your office what the fuck <laughs> like yeah and that and that the, the people just kind of arise in lighting when he chooses yeah, them to at his like, back and call uh, you are trash leave that's me that's a you know? good scene though like just in terms of practical effects because there's Absolutely. no it's not like a cgi thing like people are ducking in and out of these dark sets and with specific lighting specific placing so they never appear on screen at the same time it's so good yeah, yeah. and there's like a dreamlike quality to some of the sets in this in this film yeah. that one being one of them um, another where uh, Swan speaks to the devil. There's a lot of like really just <laughs> yeah, cool, yeah. Uh, and the lighting is usually interesting too. Lots of like you know almost I don't know if it's neon necessarily, but just like reds and purples and things like that. Yeah, he's got well, a really I mean, cool eye. De Palma, for the De Palma. This is a young De Palma too, so I'd, I'd say it's kind of a bit of like a, an over eager De Palma, but okay, in a really yeah. great way. But he really sure. wants to throw like the the sets are are like really elaborate. He really got to do the the sort of the, the Hitchcock style, but in a sort of silent film setup where yeah. in a, obviously in a silent I mean, he film. He does kind he, of reference, refer to silent film and black and white film pretty explicitly because like the shower scene with beef is explicitly alluding to Psycho. And right. then. Which is a great uh, joke again. Yes. Uh, set is explicitly referring to Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Yeah, so he's he he clearly is l- looking at these really stylized both visually in the silent yeah. film a lot of it was the actual design work and production design in Hitchcock it was the the movement of the camera so in, in right. here he's kind of been able to do both in like this weird kind of mania style but it really works for the film especially as a film about spectacle in a lot of ways and that you know yeah. the that Swan really ultimately is just trying to put on uh, you know a show and the it's greatest the, show it's it's the business of the show and kind of yeah. you know how everyone's a how pawn. it affects yeah. yeah everybody's a pawn and he's he's just trying to make great art but he's going to destroy human lives in order to do so <laughs> yeah uh, but Winslow goes uh, to friggin he goes Winslow goes to Swan. Uh, and I he goes. Say, I love that scene too because the music that accompanies it—it's not on the soundtrack, but there's like a little incidental tune that it, uh, accompanies Winslow going to Death Records, and the lyrics are "I w- like never thought that I'd meet the devil" or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. So that's great. what it is. Yeah, yeah, it is, uh, and it's just—it's like spot on because I think that's right interlude. when he's entering yeah. into Death Records as well. Like you yeah, can see yeah. the big, and it's cool the the camera work he does in that. It that sequence seemed like something you'd watch in a music video or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like it, it gave this kind of, uh, cause he's got all these facial expressions, you know, he's going from place to place. It's, it's got a very natural very progression odd. and rhythm to it yeah. as he's, as he's going there. And the secretary, he says, I'm Winslow. And the secretary finds his name in the book and it says like, the cards are so good. Yeah. <laughs> it says like, get, 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 <laughs> don't, don't let this guy in or whatever. Yeah. So they, and isn't he next to like Barbara Streisand or whatever? There's yeah. like a bunch of names in there. there yeah. yeah. There was yeah. like Dick Clark and like all these, <laughs> Yeah, names yeah. I just assumed like signed their souls to the devil or whatever happened here. 
Yeah, everybody did it. Uh, but then he, I think he ends up going to Swan's actual house where they're holding, uh, they're holding, I guess, auditions, oh, auditions for his mansion. song. Right. Uh, and he walks in and it's kind of a really jarring sequence where he walks in and he sees like 100 women all performing his song in different styles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's and it's got that that whole weird uh, aesthetic to it where it's like you walk into that, um, you know, the beginnings of American Idol where oh. everybody's just like... <laughs> it's overcrowded yeah, and everyone's like doing their own thing. To, yeah. Trying to find the I note. Some, and like, yeah, I think I read something once that all of the voices were done by the same person i'm not sure if that's true but i that's think i read that like they just had woman one woman do like all these different voices wow first. so they just like dubbed and every, then they dubbed wow it, yeah. that's crazy that's very cool yeah that's awesome uh and this is where he runs into uh phoenix who is played uh excellently by by jessica harper yeah uh and she she stands out because of obviously her her excellent voice and winslow just being a, a does musician. she actually sing the actress or is that the yeah, same she does. Okay, yeah she cool. does very cool she's a great singer yeah yeah and and she's singing his song and he goes oh like for he actually hears his song with with her voice right uh through it which is sort of a thing that we end up getting a really great uh payoff moment to uh later but uh, he's just like, I wrote this song. Why aren't I being involved in the process of its making? Yeah. Uh, and they have that really creepy sequence where they start letting all the women in and they, they, they come in and they look like they're about to sing and they are basically just being, uh, assaulted and, and raped the second yeah. that they enter the room. Yeah. Uh, and Jessica Harper gets in there and immediately is just like, I'm done. Like I'm done getting work this way. Like never yeah. like, and it's, it's a, it's really dark moment. Yeah. And, and what it leads into too is kind of that. That, uh, that that bedroom scene where they've got like I don't know there's like twelve women on the bed and they're all kind of discussing like some of them have only have almost accepted that this is just the way the business is run and they're yeah. just going to keep coming in every week to do the whole you know pleasure for Swan. Yeah. And, and hope that they get their singing gig one and, day. and even if Swan even shows up because I think they point out that they're on camera and that he just really just likes to watch through the camera which yeah. comes kind of an interesting thing that Swan just is sort of like the ultimate arbiter of of not just taste but also image and sound yeah. Uh, yeah. as the film progresses yeah which uh, that, that one sequence when it's a little later on in the film, but he's he's ha- having sex or about to with Jessica Harper. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, this and, is near the end. And right? he's he notices that the Phantom, I think, is watching. So he then puts a camera behind puts the him. camera behind Phantom to watch his Phantom. Ha- yeah, like like t- watching him having sex Actually, while the Phantom he, watches. It's crazy. He had already thought that the Phantom was going to show up. Yeah, yeah. It, it seemed like he already set it up there. Yeah. But but again, but it, it's like that weird. What kink is that? Like, how fucked <laughs> up are you, dude? <laughs> like, holy shit. <laughs> it's crazy. He wants to see someone else suffer from his own action from his on own screen. Pleasure. Yeah. Wow. His... So, so that he can actually g- get well, I mean, he interested. is all about image. Yeah. It's for sure. Oh, 100%. Yeah, because that's, I mean, I guess we'll get into sort of the, the, the thick of things. But what ultimately ends up happening overall is that Winslow, you know, being betrayed uh, by by Swan, who has hijacked his music and is planning on opening a a rock paradise uh, with using his, his songs as y- the opening, using right? his cantata, yeah, yeah. Um, and leaving Winslow uh, <laughs> on the side of his, on the side of the street with with drugs uh, and and framed uh, and in in some sort of labor prison. Uh, <laughs> He Winslow tries basically tries to make his way back to Swan to to kill him or to destroy the the, the cantata and destroy the record, 
and he ends up maimed by the record press, which is both a horrifying image and a great gag. Yeah. Uh, seeing his face get pressed by his own record. Yeah, and and the uh, proceeding, it's very slapsticky. Like he's kind of yeah. all over the place. He's very uh, cartoonish, you know. Like yeah. he's just he's using his entire body to destroy whatever is you know just in his way, basically, because he's on a rampage. Yeah, I mean he's already so scary looking too, because they've like cut mm-hmm. his hair with scissors, and you see they replace all his teeth and he looks awful oh yeah yeah, yeah. and he's got the because he got he has like the grills or whatever yeah. basically for his yeah. teeth so then he's messed up his face and he messes up his voice doing that as well so he he, he dons his cape he puts on his helmet he gets the makeup going yep. and he's like i am now the phantom of the paradise uh, where I am going to basically make sure that this uh, <laughs> this never uh, this cantata never gets played and never gets played, especially by the lame-ass Juicy Fruits uh, <laughs> yeah. in one of the best sequences in the film, where Brian De Palma gets to do his classic split-screen technique and his wonder it's technique. So good, yeah. Bomb, I also yeah. love that one of the Juicy Fruits like clearly gets that something is up. And he's like, oh, I don't think we should do this. <laughs> <laughs> they all get yeah, they're anyway. just like, dude, dude, just take some more speed. Like, yeah, it's fine. that's what yeah. I was gonna say. They just keep. <laughs> Filling them up with drugs. They're like, yeah, dude, you'll feel great. Just keep going. Yeah, and, and they're no longer a duop group. They're trying to do like a Beach Boys thing now. They're yeah. trying to yeah. do his rock cantata yeah. <laughs> in Beach Boys style. And, and they seem I to like... I have to say, though, I love every single iteration of the Juicy Fruits. Like, I know that <laughs> yeah. they represent like the, the horrible, like just mass-produced part of music, but I love all those songs that they do. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And well, like I mean, the, 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 that's the what's funny. one where yeah. they're like tearing off like they're they're like creating the monster that becomes what's his name beef or beef yeah yeah, beef. yeah. that's a great beef is sequence. the best oh, yeah beef should have been a star r.i.p beef yeah, yeah. well because well, yeah by, by the time by the time you get to the rock music version of all of this you're like winslow how do you just not like this yeah <laughs> i know right like this is just a good version of this song it's like, like winslow, i can't up. know you're mad but i'm really enjoying the show so yeah Black <laughs> Black rules. don't know what you're mad about say, say what you will about swan great producer yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh but yeah so he becomes the phantom and he's haunting he he's haunting the paradise and he uh <laughs> blows up with the juicy fruits yeah <laughs> and the, my, my favorite bits about this is that everybody moves past it instantly no one's like <laughs> there's fine. been a terror attack inside the paradise against the juicy fruits everyone's <laughs> just like go on, man. yeah everyone's like i guess we'll just we'll we'll figure out the new rendition no one mourns them no one <laughs> does says anything I mean, they're they're totally fine like the next time they show up there's not a scratch on them <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Because they're just the, they're the ghouls or whatever. In the oh, next are one, they? Right? I yeah. didn't notice that. I thought they just yeah. died. <laughs> nope. Oh my awesome. god, that's, that's so great. Because I because I, I I know that they ask uh, they ask him uh, at one point at the press conference. They're like, "What about the juicy fruits?" And he's like, "The juicy fruits are a thing of the past." But oh. I guess he, did he didn't mean, mean that, that quite literally. as literally yeah. as I thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love the press would have just been like, "You just." Wow, you just killed him off? Okay, well, damn. Well, it still happens later, because when Beef, when Beef, who is ends up taking on the show as the sort of uh, the, the 70s uh, goth rock version of this, yeah. Uh, yeah. he ends up getting straight up murdered on the stage yeah. in front of an audience of people by uh, Winslow or the Phantom. Yeah. And uh, when that happens, the audience applauds. <laughs> They're yeah. like, "Woo! That's that's as, as big as they get." I mean, you can make an argument that they think that that's the show, but I think yeah. De Palma's getting at is that the show, in its own sense, 
is this kind of violence yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that and that the they're, they're sort of intertwined in a way that sort of makes us all kind of uh, a little ravenous <laughs> yeah <laughs> definitely I also I just want to say uh, Beef's performance who's the actor's name do, do we know the oh uh, uh, Garrett, Garrett Graham. Graham yeah okay because he is just next he's level excellent, yeah. what else is he in anything else that maybe we should shout he's out in a, he's in a couple of other uh, Brian De Palma's movies yeah he's okay. a, he's in Hi Mom does he usually which play is like probably a, one of my a favorite more eccentric Palmas. character because uh, this was like so over the top and amazing you know I don't I don't remember uh, him uh, his role in Hi Mom I don't think it's a big one but apparently okay. he was in Chopping Mall and Child's Play 2 which oh, sounds really? like yeah. movies where he would be allowed to ham it up yeah, so. yeah. definitely I've seen Child's Play 2 so <laughs> must have seen him but he's just he's absolutely incredible he's so like just flamboyant and over the top and every single thing is just the biggest move you've ever seen like just him walking is like just this well uh, and, and I love that it's not even performative because he does it when he's by himself I love the exactly. bit I love the like bit in the where, alleyway yeah or when he when he just like moves to the side and starts just like doing coke in the corner and then he realizes <laughs> he's in front of a camera and he jumps in the shower and then we get the sort of psycho homage which is really funny because you think that Winslow's gonna stab the shit out of him but instead he just puts a, a uh, oh shit! What are the the plunger? He puts the plunger oh, yes. in his mouth, <laughs> and he's like, "Don't sing my songs." Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. I forgot about the plunger. That's amazing. Yeah, because oh, yeah, it's a, like an exact recreation, almost cut for cut, of the psycho yeah. scene where she gets Except stabbed. Plunge. Yeah. All of Beef's costumes are so good too. Like oh, they're yeah. so outrageous. Like the one that he's doing when they're rehearsing this, the pants that have like that are gold but have like a silver dick on them it's so, <laughs> yeah. it's so good oh and he's got the platform uh yeah, shoes yeah. on that he's like slipping they're and like sliding your like platform shoes right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah he was killer i also love the effect that they use when uh he gets shocked and it's kind of yeah. like a hyper cut uh oh yeah do yep, you know what they do is well, because like a shot for I, shot hyper yeah i thing? think it's because it's a subtle pan and they just remove frames from the pan okay. so it feels like it's cutting yeah. really fast but it's also a smooth motion being electrocuted yeah it's just such a great touch <laughs> and the movie's full like just filled with that kind of little uh, visual details yeah, like that yeah it's great like, and anytime de palma can manage like a zoom or a tilt or a mm-hmm. or a funny cut he he seems to to push it again this is de palma at a very young like i gotta prove myself kind of yeah kind of place uh and, and he he really does in this movie uh but we'll get into the the devil stuff i guess that's yeah. the, what we haven't quite touched on yet because winslow and the devil stuff <laughs> the, so metal yeah uh, <laughs> uh winslow who's now haunting the paradise and he's he's killing people off and he's trying to ruin the show so that his cantata will never get played in this sort of uh this uh, this popularized uh, garbage way as he yeah. sees it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is so funny for the because masses. throughout it, it's like I love this music, but throughout the story, for his context, I'm supposed to be like mad. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it works perfectly still, but it's 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 a funny thought. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but he he's putting he's ruining the show so much that Swan just goes, okay, do you know what, buddy? you're fucked up now and I know that we got off on the wrong foot but what if I get you to sign a contract I get you to write the music and I'll let make sure that the girl that you like Phoenix uh, actually sings it yeah mm-hmm. uh, and 
being just sort of this huge fucking contract. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. contract is so funny. That you have to sign so with your blood. He's like, there's a, there's a line in it that's like, everything that's excluded is included. And he's like, what's yeah. that mean? And he's like, that's a clause to protect you. Yeah, <laughs> that's like, you, man. That's all you. Yeah, man. Like, there's no, no, nothing now wrong with that. Now, your finger and sign this with your blood, please. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it isn't worth anything to me, Winslow. <laughs> And this is the part that's interesting because this is where they don't let Winslow off the hook because Winslow has already seen how horrifying the, this industry is. He's seen mm-hmm. all the evidence he needs to see and he still goes, yeah, you know what? Maybe, maybe I will sign the contract. Yeah, music. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting with also, uh, like he's um, compromising with what is clearly a monstrous, uh, system all yeah. already. And, but, and Phoenix is kind of gets, uh, kind of under that influence. She too gets corrupted too. Yeah. I, she has a line that's, uh, that I think it's something like, I'll give you everything. Just give me that crowd again. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, it's, she just wants, it's like she, she kind of, she tasted that, that fame and attention and, and, uh, you know, gratitude from the, from yeah, the crowd well, and because she, it, now she loves it. It's a very really needs it. seductive industry, oh, but there's sure. also <laughs> sort of like a ritualistic sacrifice thing to it. Uh, and De Palma very much gets at this, uh, visually, um, uh, especially when, uh, Winslow is uh, like strapped in, uh, to just a tiny little room where he has just to, to make the music writing. and just, he's yeah. literally like plugged into the monitors and you can see Swan in the other room just kind of like mixing his his voice in real time. Yeah, and he just keeps going in and out of the room going, okay, we have it. Okay, we have it. Just yeah, keeps collecting his soul basically, which is his music. And then... And he's and writing then, it specifically for Phoenix because now yeah. that he doesn't have a voice, the next closest thing that he knows who f- he feels like he might be able to get his musical voice out into the world is through her. And of course, also Swan... the insane part of Swan engineering uh, Winslow's voice so that he can talk, but also Winslow's new voice is basically sounds like Paul Williams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And it is Paul Williams who's doing the singing, I believe. Yeah, it is. Oh, okay. Yeah, he did all the music and he's doing the singing. So there's a lot of dubbing in this movie, except for so, her. Wait, so does he do the, when they do the original piano ballad no, with no. Winslow? No, that I, don't, Winslow. that I don't think so. Oh, okay. Because his voice sounded so different compared to when yeah. I, what, I listened, I yeah, really listened actually, to the soundtrack today. Um, oh, and it sounded and, different on those yeah, songs. Yeah, because there's a version where Paul Williams is actually singing. And then there's the one where it's either Winslow's, like the actor or it's someone they just got to do it's it. It's the I'm actor, sure. it's the actor. Oh, okay, cool. He's got a really unique voice, too. It's, it's yeah. not like the most, it, it's technically proficient, but there's a lot of just soul and character in it because it mm-hmm. kind of lacks that, but he's still <laughs> giving it. Like, yeah. I love it. I thought that performance he was has, great. Yeah, he's like a w- weird vibrato to the way that he sings, but yeah, yeah it sure. works It works for Almost uh, like a Leech. Bob Dylan thing. Like, it, he's not the best singer, <laughs> but it just works. It's got a cool tone. Yeah. But yeah, Winslow signs the contract, and obviously, as, as we've already seen from Swan, Swan completely... Uh, it ignores the deal that they just made anyway. Yeah. And he hears Phoenix sing and she's too good. And I, he has that great line where he's just like, you know that I abhor uh, perfection in anyone but myself. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't even, just out of spite, he's not going to give her the lead role. He's going to make her a backup singer and he's going to create a new show, which is how Beef gets introduced because he wants to create uh, a, a sort of uh, <laughs> a, a more pop rock version uh, of mm-hmm of uh, Winslow's music. Glam rock. Glam yeah. rock. Yeah. That's that's what he wants. Beef is glamorous, I gotta say. 
Yep. Oh yeah. He, he, he nails it, man. <laughs> the beauty spots. Yeah. Yeah. Glitter uh, everywhere. Uh, yeah. but, but we got to the part where, so paradise is officially opening. It's opening on Winslow's cantata, but Winslow realizes it's opening on the glam rock version, not sung by Phoenix. And he's super upset. Oh, he yeah. runs out. He's on a murder. He's going to like murder people now. Cause he's already warned beef. He said, beef don't sing my shit. Like yeah. it's only for Phoenix. Yeah, and that's also after he's he discovers that he's been betrayed again because Swan, after Winslow finishes the cantata, bricks the wall <laughs> that he's behind so that he theoretically can't get out. But Winslow does seem to have a kind of superhuman strength when he is angry, so he breaks out. Yeah, <laughs> which is just an awesome touch. <laughs> it's wild, yeah. Because uh, I guess that kind of leads to when he gets stabbed front by Swan, right? And there's kind of a river. Is that after or is that before? No, wait, this is because this is around the time where uh, he kills Beef. Right. Uh, and it's after a great moment where Beef, because Beef at first is totally going to listen to his threat. and oh, he's, yeah, he's, he's out of there. He, he's he, out of there. But again, he gets talked into it. Like the everybody basically ev- threatens him back yeah, into it. Yeah. But everybody in this industry seems to know the sort of, the, both the risk and the reward. Yeah. And they, they basically, you know... Th- this they, is so real. Yeah, they, they they understand it as just a ritual thing that has to happen. Uh, and Beef is the one that's got to die in that case because Winslow already warned him. Kills him. And then Swan finally puts Phoenix on and lets Phoenix do it. And uh, Phoenix's song here is amazing. The, the mm-hmm. old love song. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very uh, good. And it's the Powerful. first time that on a on a big spectacle scale, Winslow hears his own music and sees it being played to an adoring audience. And he, it's like he hears his voice for the first time through Phoenix. And there's like this really magical um, cutting bet- back and forth between Phoenix's performance and Winslow per- doing the spotlight yeah. and kind of peeking out from behind the spotlight in awe. Uh, yeah. And it's a really great sequence. And De Palma rightfully kind of lingers on that whole song and doesn't. It's the only time he actually tones down his movement is for that song. Yeah. And wouldn't it kind of be the only time that. The Phantom seems kind of accepting of the, yeah. the show because he's even giving the spotlight. He's like, he's like, this is yeah, the show. That's what he wants. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But then Phoenix becomes a star. Phoenix is corrupted by the 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 industry, and yeah. that's where we get the bit that we were talking about, where Swan takes Phoenix to bed. Right. And the, the Phantom. And it's preceded by that uh, very kind of heartbreaking scene too, because oh, right. before roof, she right? goes to the Swanage, uh, the Phantom tries to talk to her, but she's just so horrified by the way that he looks now that she doesn't listen. Right. Yeah, typical like hunchback of Notre Dame yeah. scene. Yeah. <laughs> he's even doing like like that that bird yell that he kind of does with the squawk. The, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. He's like, what is this noise? Or yeah. <laughs> so he's definitely not. I mean, I get it in a sense. He 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 would be. You you would be taken aback by that for sure. But yeah. oh yeah, well he he doesn't he doesn't do her any favors when he rips the mask off and says this is what he's done to me. <laughs> yeah, he's got like an eye. It, it, pa- it paints an image, but I don't think that she was uh, she was hearing <laughs> the words like, when you said just it. Be that. subtle no, about it, bro. Be, like, oh, be no. slow. <laughs> <laughs> don't rip off the mask. See, you gotta you gotta you know can't surprise people with that. Yep, uh, and that's where this is where we get the scene where Phoenix. Uh, 
is in bed with Swan and Winslow is is above in that in that great sort of monster shot behind the window in, in just it is total a good agony. Scene, but I have to say that's the only scene in the movie where every time I'm like, okay, I've seen enough. <laughs> like this thing has gone on for too long now. Of, yeah. Oh, of Paul Williams getting it on. Is yeah. Referring to. Well, I mean, he's not doing anything. He's just lying there, and Jessica Williams is, or Jessica Harper is just uh, making out with the side of his face. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's very true. Oh man! And then it, it and then after that, that's when it leads to him because, because that's what happens is he he stabs himself. He's like, "This is it. This is the I've I've heard yeah. my true musical voice performed, and now it's in love with the person who betrayed me." Basically, right. it's like a it's it's just like a horrifying love triangle yeah. that he feels. I really uh, think the scariest moment, truly though, is when he tries to, like you said, he stabs himself, himself yeah. and then he's like, "You're under contract." Yeah, like, it's he's like, like you "There's no die. escape." Yeah, yeah, this was life. You signed your entire life to me. Um, mm-hmm. And that and what was really cool twist is that it also connected with Swan. Because well, yeah, because he, he be, can't die yeah. because he tries to stab him, right? Yeah. And then it doesn't work because he said, I'm his, under like, contract, own, too. His own defensive mechanism here. It's a full circle that just. Yeah, but the, and this is where you get the really creepy scene, though, where he breaks into Swan's place and he finds the footage of him making the deal with the devil. Right, right. In the mirror, which is such a. I love that. Yeah, scene. and I love how the devil is basically just like, look, you will look, you will remain the same, you will look the same, but the, the film will age. He uses the yeah. film as an actual object. Uh, at that point, the and you have to watch the film every day, right? Yeah, and he has to watch the film of him making the yeah. deal every single day for it to to still work, and he has to take care of it. Yeah. Which obviously, as soon as Winslow discovers that, he burns the shit out of it. Yeah. <laughs> what I found interesting about Swan too, it seemed like Swan was just kind of like complete nihilist before, because he even says like like I think the devil says something like uh, your soul's doomed either way, and then he replies with what soul? Like yeah. he just he already kind of <laughs> knows that. I guess this is the person that he is. So making this deal with the devil is just beneficial for him anyway. I well, guess. not having a soul is really good for climbing in the industry. That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely. Uh, uh, and this is where you get, this is where at the same time that he watches that film and he, he sees uh, basically how he can escape his contract. He also sees that obviously Swan and Phoenix are uh, getting married. Yeah, and Phoenix oh, Phoenix right. has signed the contract as well, so she's part of it. And yeah. that uh, Swan also has a plan uh, to basically assassinate her during the wedding on live television. Yeah. Because by seeing Beef be murdered and see the the crowd applaud it, he's just like, this is the ultimate form of, of mm-hmm. entertainment and spectacle is just watching live murder. Yeah. Uh, so this is an even, even better way to do it. So Winslow, obviously, you know, wanting to see Phoenix succeed... Uh, runs there and this is where you get the climactic sequence which is uh, insane oh yeah yeah yeah. I mean like you know you got Swan revealing what his face truly looks like so next it it basically looks like uh, that dude from Captain America Red 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 Skull Skull. or or a deep deep cut reference for Karen Cure for Wellness oh yeah (laughs) for sure for sure that reptilian nice face and there's just a melted mess underneath yeah Yeah. It was like a reptilian under there or something. Yeah. Yeah, you got that weird, like, sort of skull layout, a little fleshy, yeah, yeah, a little yeah. weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the but the crazy part about this. Like, it's starting to fall apart before that, too, because, like, when the wedding announcement's made, you see the woman in the alley, 
um, who says that she went out with Swan when they were in high school, but when they when she shows the photo to the other girls who are in the alley, he looks exactly the same. So everyone kind of gets that there's something weird going on. And also during the beef press conference, nobody's allowed to take pictures of Swan. Oh, that's true. Right. There was also a little moment I noticed earlier, and I wasn't sure if uh, this was supposed to be a, a thing, but when he listens back to the recording of him making the contract was with Winslow, doesn't his recording of his voice sound different? I don't know if you noticed that. No, actually, I didn't notice that. Because I, I, I just kind of noticed, because he's listening to his own voice recording of him talking with Winslow about signing the contract, and it, it doesn't... Is, it is different. And it and do, I think doesn't sound is, like the voice we heard in the scene, so it's just odd. Yeah, it's, it's, I, it is different, and I think it's the point is that it's the devil who's making that deal. Uh, okay. Mm, okay. That's that cool. Makes, that makes more sense. Yeah. Because <laughs> I wasn't sure if this is just it, is if, if he doesn't... If he in really doesn't look and sound the same as, as the image that he's putting forth, which would make sense with the photography bit, too. Um, but, yeah, he's putting on this big spectacle... This cat has opinions. Uh, I was just about to say I hear meowing. Yeah, no, she's got she loves Brian De Palma. <laughs> if anyone's talking about her boy, she's got to get in on it. But you got the big spectacle going down, and it basically just turns into a literal ritual sacrifice sequence where yeah, all of horrifying. the people lift him, lift Swan up with his face all mangled, and there's blood everywhere. And obviously, when Winslow. Uh, now that he can kill Swan, obviously his wound also opens back up because his fate is sealed with uh, Swan's. And all of a sudden Winslow is bleeding everywhere and his mask comes off and you get to see the side of his face. And there's this really sort of disorienting, like wide angle close up of him as he's crawling. Uh, well, again, the audience is just a mass cheer yeah <laughs> they're yeah, like yeah the spectacle who, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly we're entertained that's all that's important yeah and there's that one bro who sees the phantom stab swan with a mask and then is like oh like that's what we're doing now and starts <laughs> and does that as well and everyone else starts to st- stab swan too while they're like carrying him around like caesar or something yeah, yeah. it's it's a it's a really wild sequence and the only one who really sees what's happening now kind of like awoken. Uh, from the contract is Phoenix, who is yeah. rightfully horrified by the whole situation, uh, and the the film basically ends there with uh, with no no real light at the end. It's just uh, a horrifying spectacle that only a few people yeah. actually notice. You really only you can really only hope that Phoenix learned something. It's like that's the only <laughs> character that's yeah, left. I mean, really, like I think there's a little hope in that she seems to she recognizes. Um, or Winslow at the end. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just just in time to watch him die. Luckily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As the camera pulls away into the, the the sea of people who are just cheering. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a wild ending. But then the the credits has this really happy go lucky like check out the cast and all the songs. You remember the songs? They were fun. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, <laughs> they even do that whole like scene flashback thing through the credits, right? Where yeah. they show like the scenes it's that they so were in good. and then do the cut. Yeah. The hell yeah. of it is such a good song. Yeah. Uh, oh well, I, I guess this is the part where we'll enter the reductive rating round, Karen. This is the part where we remove all the words and all the nuance we just said, and we reduce the movie to a number between uh, one and five. And for me, this was a super easy uh, five. One of De Palma's better better films, and that's saying a, a lot. De Palma's got a lot that we're going to be talking about. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I love the, the textured, tactile look and feel of this. I love the silent film sets. I love the, the sort of manic camera movements, and I love... 
uh, how it all really is in service of this this story of a, a sort of mass ritual we've all accepted because there's spectacle and money in it. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and give it a five as well. Uh, this was this was the first time I've seen it. Did you see this before? James? Oh yeah. Okay. This was the first time I've I've seen this, um, and I absolutely loved it. I love De Palma's visual style. Mm-hmm. It's very. Uh, I, I really don't know what the word is, but just like we said with the, you know, that scene where you have the people rising through the shadows, and he's just got such a way with uh, creating a setting mm-hmm. and uh, using it to the to the fullest extent of his abilities. Um, I also loved what it had to say about the industry, uh, the entertainment industry in general. I can say from experience that I've seen most of these things, uh, you know, uh, myself. Um, Luckily, lesser of the crazy orgies that he was having, because that's something you don't want to see, obviously. Yeah, that was some Didn't eyes, see any eyes of that, wide, so that's good. Yeah, no eyes wide shit. shut shit. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's a fantastic uh, movie, and I'm going to give it a five for sure. Karen, you? Uh, it's an easy five for me. This genuinely is one of my favorite movies of all time. I watch it at least once every year, um, and it's always in rotation as to like my top five films of all time. I absolutely love this film i think it's it's my favorite brian de palma i think and also paul williams is such a fucking genius like all the music yes. is so good yeah. did, did, did he ever end up so doing well. anything else uh you mean in terms of like film music yeah like com- nothing like to this extent but like he that? did no. a shitload of stuff for like the muppets Oh, and really? also he did the um I think he did the he did the lyrics to the theme song for the love boat and he's <laughs> awesome. he's acted in a couple of other things too but I think this is probably the most kind of comprehensive thing. Yeah. Oh, he did the uh one of the songs in A Star is Born too. Anyway, yeah, he's done a lot. He's an g- absolute genius. Yeah, I'm going to have to look up uh some more of his music cuz I once again I re-listened to this whole soundtrack today. And, like, almost every single song is just perfect. <laughs> he's the guy it. who did Rainbow Connection, so you know that he's good. Oh, okay. <laughs> and there was a great um, documentary about him that came out a few years ago uh, called Still Alive that is quite good. Sweet. I'll have to check that out. All right. Well, that's going to be it for Phantom of the Paradise, but we're going to be right back, and we're going to be talking uh, the companion film, The Legend of 1900, which is by, Karen, you said his name way better than I could. <laughs> Giuseppe Tornatore. Giuseppe Tornatore. Got nice. it. Nailed yeah. it. All right. <laughs> Legend of 1900. Let's do it. The world is out there. Nothing but a gangplank to cross. A few stupid steps. America! Leave this ship. Marry a nice woman and have children. All those things in life which are not immense but are worth the effort. Guy's the limit, Mr. 19. You mind if I call you 19? I was born on this ship, and the world passed me by. But 2,000 people at a time. The Legend of 1900. All right, we are talking The Legend of 1900, the 1998 film directed by uh, Giuseppe Tornatore. Did uh, you get it? I think I did it. I think I, think I did yeah, it. Yeah, I think it's, so. It's Sweet. fine. It's fine. I won't do the Italian title of this, but it, it roughly <laughs> translates to The Legend of the Piano Pianist on the Ocean, yeah. uh, which is a, a pretty literal uh, <laughs> yeah. a pretty literal title. Uh, <laughs> that is the story. <laughs> 
I mean, the tagline is a beautiful story of a man who could do anything except be ordinary. <laughs> oh. So, so sad. A single tear. Yeah. It's going down. Uh, but The Legend of 1900 stars Tim Roth as, hold up, Danny Boodman TD Lemon 1900. That's the name yeah. of the biz. What a name. Uh, he is a virtuoso piano player who has lived his entire life aboard an ocean liner because he was found there uh, as a baby uh, by a uh, dude working in the coal section of the ocean liner named uh, Boodman, who he names him after. And correct me if I'm wrong, but they don't show how he got there at all, right? Is it kind of just... Yeah, he just just appears covered in poop. The coal workers take guesses at why he's there, but there's no actual explanation. Okay, okay. (laughs) Um, and yeah, so they, they, they kind of take them, take them, take them in and they're just like, you're now just the baby of the ship. Similar to how Winslow is the, the, the phantom of the paradise or the phantom of the opera. This, this kid is, is not really a phantom. He's, he's sort of the, the orphan of the boat. A little mischievous for sure. (laughs) Yeah. He messes with some things, but he's not, he's not evil. It's it's all good natured. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't really have a, uh, a a revenge mission. Uh, no, no. <laughs> as much he seems as pretty happy-go-lucky for the most part. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, he gets complicated by he, the end, of course. He but. has a bit of an abnormal a- existence, and I feel like that takes a bit of a toll on him because obviously he yeah. can't share that experience with really anyone else, even people who work on the boat, because people who work on the boat even actually get off and go live a life outside of it. Right. And uh, it's kind of got a bit of like a a, a trying to be sort of like a a, a magical fantasy sentimental version of i mean some of the imagery i think the movie gets a lot of flack and gets compared to titanic for this reason just because it mm. takes place on an ocean liner and it was made one year later what did they, what <laughs> and they the, say about it and the, and, and the time and the time period i mean i don't think anyone says anything i think people just oh, say okay. that like you know there, there's a lot of like rich people hanging out on an ocean liner which was oh, the sure. same uh, thing that obviously uh cameron visualized like it seemed like i don't a think i've thing. seen i've heard that comparison made even no? once i think this is the first time i've ever oh, heard well, it. i don't i don't think Titanic. that i would be the first to say it. i think i read maybe i might have heard it in an old roger ebert review yeah. that people at the time were having just seen titanic in whatever 96 or 97 that they had another three-hour movie on an, on an ocean liner <laughs> on an ocean in the 1920s <laughs> where there's a, a, a poor dude rich on a boat and the rich people yeah. dancing to music. And <laughs> That's true. Um, Although the story is vastly different, right? Yeah, well, because the story yeah. is told sort of in media res by um, uh, Pruitt Taylor Vince's character, uh, Max Tooney, who is a trumpet player who spends a bit of time on the ship and gets to know... Um, 1900, uh, Tim Roth's 1900, uh, and is obviously wowed by, you know, his, his, his music, which is insane. Is ins- again, any, uh, any Morricone, any Morricone, yeah, yeah. G-O-A-T, yeah. He, he is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Absolute goat, goat. For yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> like I, some of the, the playing in this is at a technical level that I don't think I've ever <coughs> seen in another film, quite honestly. Yeah, the um, piano the piano music in this is incredible. I only have yeah. one I guess qualm with it, but we'll get to that later. Okay. Like the score is absolutely incredible. I think it's maybe my favorite thing that Morricone's done. Like I know mm-hmm. he's an absolute legend, but the music in this is so beautiful. 
Yeah, what else I mean, has he done? Just so I can have some Morricone. Oh, he did all of Leone's stuff. We okay. already we talked about him a little bit because he did all those good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh shit! Okay. Uh, scores and stuff like that, like a fistful of dollars and a few dollars more were the okay. ones that we already talked about on the show a little oh, bit. Because okay. the a few dollars more <laughs> score is like an all timer. Yeah, but he also I Absolutely. think like lesser known did like Days of Heaven. Okay, and like Lolita and uh, obviously the thing. Oh, because okay. Tarantino nice. even reused his bit from the thing on Hateful Eight. Like the yeah. dude's a legendary composer, and it was it was awesome that he he kind of got his his due around the time that the Hateful Eight came out a few years ago. That's um, crazy, but yeah, the music in this, uh, I guess, what stands out about it is it's probably the least, or it's it's the most. Like he's never done any other music like he's done in this film. Yeah. All of his other music is is very um, used more in sort of like a stringy genre way. Um, I think the key is mostly that this music is a lot of it is diegetic. Like a lot of yes. it is in the service of something that's happening. Like it's being played by the characters, whereas yeah. a lot of the other films that he scored, it's music that's accompanying it and not happening directly. Yeah, that's yeah. that's exactly right. Because a lot of this is the like you get to see people interact with the music and be awed by the music and yeah. it's you know and honestly the music is good enough I, I feel like this would be a problem if the music wasn't as good as it is but the music yeah. is incredible and it's, <laughs> the movie damn well knows what they have on their hands for oh sure. yeah absolutely yeah and, and seeing Tim Roth's like kind of like smugly just like <laughs> I am the shit yeah, yeah like look how amazing <laughs> I am because uh, obviously great. Tim Roth is uh really honestly a surprisingly subtle performance for him because a lot of the actors yeah. around him are are kind of going quite big uh and yeah. he's pretty comfortable doing uh, a natural performance coming off for of sure. doing more stylized ones that he was doing for tarantino in the 90s obviously like pulp fiction yeah. where he's real big <laughs> oh yeah he's crazy and usually i mean yeah in most things that i've seen him he's putting on a, a, a quite a big show but even for such an eccentric character in this he is really holding back well man i also think max does a really good job uh, who's mm. the, i can't remember the actor's name there oh yeah we just we just said yeah 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 and uh, he's great yeah his uh, little his eye twitch that he seems to have and i'm, I'm assuming that's involuntary but yeah it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's it totally works that. for uh the character it's almost mm. it, it brings almost like a I guess the word I'm I'm that's coming to mind is sadness for some reason because it always yeah. seems like he's got such an emotion because of the twitch it almost makes it feel like, like he's like, about like, to cry every like, time like, like, like the music is having that much of an effect exactly on him. yeah exactly <laughs> it's 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 interesting it works it, and it's very unconventional for an actor to have such a noticeable um, you know tick or something like well, that. well I mean that is it's a uh, actual condition it's not. Um, something that he's doing like for the role right, right. no yeah it's it, it's a thing that he's gotten he's he's brought it into most of his roles but i guess jamie's just kind of i think you're just saying that it it, it does it brings it, to it it right. actually works yeah, for the yeah. character yeah so the, the story's told from his his point of view kind of reflecting back on his his time in in this sort of storytelling way with 1900 and telling the story of this this boy who grew up on the on the on the ship and you know who who couldn't leave the ship i guess because he was i'm not sure it was more of like he wasn't necessarily scared there was something sort of weirdly existential about the idea of for him he saw the ocean as 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 freedom being on the boat yeah. as as you know he didn't have to pick a place sit down um where you That's know he, freedom and i think the ending sort of makes it clear that it's also a bit of a prison for him mm -hmm. yes yeah 
Yeah. <laughs> like, he can't leave, a, like, this kind of safety net that he's developed. Because yeah, in, in, in this environment... Right, exactly. In this environment, he's the master. You know, he's kind of in control. And uh, and he's the best at what he does. Whereas and he likes to do he it. He sees yeah. this city, and he's kind of like, uh, what if I'm not, I feel like? I feel like there's a bit oh, of a, huh. some fear there where... And this is just... I mean, there's different aspects to it, but I think just coming from, like, his musicianship, um, there might be a bit, a bit of a fear that that he might not be the best because there's that scene where the jazz musician comes in <laughs> yeah. and uh, they have great kind scene. of a That's battle. That's Jelly Roll Morton, yeah, yeah. not any old jazz musician. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a great scene. I, I love that scene. And uh, I feel like it was kind of his first taste of someone that is almost where he is in, in the sense of uh, his technical I mean, skill. I don't, yeah, I, I don't, uh, this is just my interpretation of it, obviously, but sure. I, I never took anything in 1900s um, actions to signify that he felt actually competitive towards Jelly Roll Morton or that at the ending it's about feeling like he might not might no longer be the best pianist out there like it for me the whole thing came across more as in terms of um, dealing being able to deal with the scope of your own life like uh, Josh as you were saying like a kind of existential crisis because the monologue that he gives to Max is about how do you deal with suddenly having so many more choices and so many more things that you can do where, and the, the fact that he grew up on the ship means that he really can only kind of process or deal with having the set number of choices they see he's used to. Um, cause one of the things that I like about the scene with Jelly Roll Morton is like right up until Jelly Roll starts, um, being more aggressive verbally, uh, he's still just happy to be playing with this guy. Yeah. He respects him. Um, yeah, and he's saying like, "I want to bet on him because he's so good." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I love the bit where because obviously Max and the crew who who know 1900 skill have all bet on him to yeah, win, yeah. and he's not even trying. He goes up there the first time when he plays like a silly rendition of Silent Night, yeah, yeah. or a very class, not even a silly, a very classical rendition that nobody would mm-hmm. would see as skillful. And then he sits down and he listens to the the second song that the jazz musician plays. The Crave is so good. The Crave is straight up one of my favorite yes. jazz songs of it, all time. It's it's a great uh, obviously song and it's so good that 1900 tears up and Max yeah. Max yells at him he's like why are you tearing up and he's just like it's great music yeah, it's really good yeah. <laughs> this is quality stuff he's yeah. just like I can't help it like it's just <laughs> yeah. good no, but give uh, me a cigarette so I can destroy this guy well well see what <laughs> follows that moment there is that he goes up and he plays the exact same song yeah. from memory which yeah. is just, just obviously hugely impressive. instantly too yeah I mean first time he's ever heard this piece of music <laughs> it's crazy and then the cigarette part is just yeah that's kind of the capper on the scene this is that was the one thing the thing that i said earlier that i have a qualm about because um the song that he does to ultimately win the duel i think isn't as strong as the rest of the stuff that's that they do throughout well then it's more of just a speed contest at that point (laughs) yeah i the way that i kind of took it is that it's there's only so many ways that you can really um easily telegraph like whether or not someone has done well with music because it is such like all art, it's this very personal thing where you like this song or you don't like this song. And the songs that precede it are so much more kind of beautifully crafted. But the song that 1900 does is a very, I sort quote unquote, like movie way of saying like, this is, 
the proof that he is better because he can do all these notes in this short time. Yeah, and it's it, good, it, but it's, it doesn't have the same effect for me, like emotionally as the stuff leading up to it. Yeah, it's it's more physically impressive, which is just a really easy way for our, the, obviously the film to telegraph that it's more. Yeah, exactly. That it's it, it's it's the more skilled thing, which honestly kind of leads me into because I, I have a bit of a qualm with this movie and my main qualm because I, I think that there's a lot of stuff in it that's good. And we've kind of talked about obviously the music and Tim Roth and some of the character stuff is really good but my my main thing kind of goes back to uh, an all-timer peter labuza tweet uh which is less movies about the magic of movies and more movies that are just magic and that's Mm -hmm. where i kind of felt a lot watching this film where i felt like this is a film very much about this very magical person in this very this this very uh sort of ephemeral uh, elusive feeling and I felt like it's a lot of people talking about it and being sentimental about it and doing this sort of fantasy cutesy uh, way to get to it when I felt like more actual filmmaking could have got us there, which is kind of what you were saying about the bit about the, the, the actual song. A film maybe could have actually got you to feel, you know, they could have had them perform an actual genuinely perhaps better song and had filmmaking that you know, reflected that uh, in a way that actually got you more swept up in the feeling or got the audience more swept up or short, sort of brought the connection with the music and the people. And I I kind of felt that there weren't a lot, the, the moments in this that actually made me feel like I was watching something magical were a little few and far between. But one of them that did, and I got to get to it because I don't think we've mentioned it yet, is the bit where he's playing the piano unhooked while yeah, the, that seems incredible. That's, that's yeah, my favorite scene. Because that that visually to me is is the the best part of the movie and the part that honestly captures what it's trying to capture. Um where they're where Tim Roth is is playing the piano um with with Max by his side because Max is obviously getting seasick uh, on the boat and the boat is rocking back and forth very uh in a way that's very disorienting to all of the passengers except for nineteen hundred, who has obviously lived on it his whole life. That's what he's used to. And he unhooks the piano with him and the piano starts just sliding with the music uh, in this very sort of rhythmic dance. And and Max is grabbing the champagne as it slides by and the piano is going through this big ballroom and the chandelier is swinging back and forth. And it's really, really beautiful. And then in narration, the character says, this is beautiful we're dancing with the the ocean and all this. And I was like, see, like you don't need that bit. Like okay. I, I get it. The filmmaking gets me there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I, I get what you're saying. I don't think it, it really hinders on it for me because I enjoyed the dialogue that was delivered. Like it, it, it is saying verbatim what's kind of happening in that. Well, see, regard, I just felt there was a lot of like the, there was like, an hour and a half or two hours of the actual talking of the actual, you know, him telling the story. And they even have the bit where he's like, the best thing in the world is a story and you've told a story. And that's why they have that framework in the first place. I mean, and it, I think it's part of just down to the fact that this movie is kind of just on unapologetically pretty cheesy. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah. But see, I don't know that that's necessarily a problem because like that, the images are cheesy. Like that image. Uh, no, of, I'm, not, of, I'm not saying that it's a problem. I'm saying right. like that kind of why all that stuff is in there right i guess i'm just saying that like the stuff that i like is also cheesy well it's kind of <laughs> like the whole like for to bring i guess titanic into it it's like the, oh yeah uh, i mean and you know the, people like it people hate it uh <laughs> but the i'm king of the world 
kind of shit. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like, he probably didn't have to say that either. He could have I'm just, king of the world kind just, of shit. <laughs> <laughs> quote for quote right there. That's that's exactly what it is. But, uh, you know, it, I just, I feel like it's it's just, uh, man, I don't, I don't really know. I don't know, man. I, I, got, I, I mean, I, I think for me, the scene... The, the scenes that get it across best are number one, the one that you already mentioned, the um, when the piano is moving back and forth. But then the other one, when he's recording, which I don't believe has any dialogue over it, where he's just playing and you see him watching the girl played by Melanie Terry. Yeah, that's a, walking that's a great scene, windows. too. Yeah. So beautiful. Yeah, and, I, and it actually I, reminded me of the scene in uh, Phantom of the Paradise where he hears Phoenix for the first time singing. Because, again, it's, it's like a musician sort of channeling their own feeling in real time through music yeah yeah um, and, and it works great really about well. that is that that's the first time that he's actually recording a piece of his music and because it's something so personal for mm-hmm. her he's like no you don't get to own this now you know yeah like yeah it's, it's, he tries uh, to give it to her it's so sad yeah it's like it's very uh yeah it is it's kind of heartbreaking actually but mm-hmm. i loved that that was the first time that he recorded something and you know, he saw it as her song and he was just like, yeah. you know what? I don't care about the fame about the, whatever. I, he's very is, pure. Yeah, Tim exactly. Rock. He's like, a yeah, very yeah. pure musician, <laughs> <laughs> the purest. Cause again, he's not, he, he hasn't been to the outside he doesn't need world. The fame, doesn't need he the money. Yeah. He, you know, they ask him if he's gone on tour and he's like, I've always been on tour. Yeah. <laughs> never not been on tour. 24 seven, 365 days a year, baby. Yeah. <laughs> we got shirts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I do have to say, though, that some aspects of this film have not aged super well. Like, I was thinking, like, uh, Melanie Terry was 18 when she's in this, and Tim Roth is, like, in his mid-30s. That stuff did feel weird at first. But But I guess I'm, like, at this point, though, I'm kind of, like, Hollywood. You know what I mean? Like, they always have a 20-year-old with a 40-year-old. It's oh, it's almost like it. a oh and I agree. The, the optics just, of the Jelly Roll Morton bit are not great at the end of it because like it's good. Uh, I'm not I'm not sure what to make of the end of that segment ever because it's like Jelly Roll Morton is a huge figure in jazz, and um, the oh, way yeah, the, jazz, oh the, yeah, the, the, the bit the bit where he whoop. smokes them with like not necessarily a better song and does it so in like a very like uh, devastatingly showman like way. <laughs> And then the, he's such a like sore loser about it, and it, yeah. yeah, I don't know, I don't know what to make of the end of that scene anymore. Because he yeah. does say "fuck jazz" at the end of it. Yeah, yeah which is like I a really say, nah, I man. Laugh, though. Yeah, yeah like, it's I funny like, though. That's funny. That's funny. But again, funny. again, they follow up that line with the other the characters also laughing. That and is, being I, like, I hated it, but I loved it so much. It's so funny because they yeah. did it like five times where a character says something and then he in the present that? back, it's like that's what he said and says it again. Whoa, fuck jazz. So good. Fuck war. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> fuck regulations <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that's what he says that as a 10 year old he was an angsty kid yeah so I, yeah. and I, I guess after uh, after a, f- a, f- a few hours we get to the part where uh, Max has finally got to the part in his story where um, we've caught up to a more present day situation where the boat having just I think served in the second world war yeah is uh, being demolished uh, it's done its duty. We got to retire it, uh, and 1900 still can't leave the boat, which is kind of the yeah. the overarching drama of Max uh, of Max's story. Thinks he's still on the boat. I think it seems. Yeah. Like the other people are just kind of like, 
Well, he's kind of a legend, really. I think yeah. they view him as that. And they're like, I don't know if this the is real, The legend man. of 1900. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, and, and, and Max knows it because, of, you know, Max stayed with him long enough to know that he could not leave that ship. He, he watched the bit where he couldn't even get off for the girl of his dreams. Right. So, like, what else is going to get him off if that can't? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he, he kind of, he, he goes goes in there and they have you know the the very the thematic text where they 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 speak to each other and tim roth uh and their performance is is good enough that it that it sells it and it's it's a really great moment so good yeah yeah Yeah, i love his his uh his kind of metaphor about how you know he's got 88 keys and (laughs) yeah uh, and and that's what he's he's mastered and if i go out there there's an infinite amount of keys and an infinite amount of choices and and what Mm. am i supposed to do with that no one can control that that's that's god's piano which uh, is another really just kind of cool imagery that he brings Mm -hmm. yeah peru taylor vince really is so good in this movie and i think it's rare because like both Tim Roth to a certain extent, but especially Pro Taylor Vince are very much character actors. But the fact that they get to carry this whole film on their own is terrific. Yeah, they're both so good. It really yeah. is. I mean, this whole like three hour event is really those two, just yeah. those two guys, yeah. which you don't see a lot. I mean, most three hour movies that we've seen in just in the past few weeks that we've done on the show have been <laughs> pretty full casted people. Yeah. yeah. Two, two people running a three hour movie is pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge responsibility. Yeah. And I, I will say that I think one of my uh, quarrels with the film is that it's a bit too long, I, I think. Uh, that is one of the things about the movie. The I think the th- one that you watched and the one that I have always watched is the one that's uh, 165 yeah. minutes, I believe. But yeah. there is a shortcut out there. Have you seen it? Now, I don't know if maybe maybe taking some of this context actually would make it lesser of a film. I don't know. Maybe maybe I need this extra 20 I'm not, minutes. I, I haven't seen the shorter version, but I was looking through Amazon reviews before um, the podcast, and some of them were saying that the short version is actually better. Mm, interesting. Um, I don't know. I haven't seen it, so I can't speak to it, but it was yeah, definitely uh, thought-provoking, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, I don't know what I would cut. Yeah, well, that's yeah, the me thing, neither. Too. Every time I say that, I mean, I, say, I can say that uh, sometimes movie these t- two-and-a-half to three-hour movies are just too long for me, but I never know really what notes. I would cut. Yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, Well, I'm, yeah, that's just it, because I, I, I had a couple issues with this movie, but I don't know that shortening the movie yeah, would solve any of them. That's yeah. true. Like, 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 that's just it. Like, I, I feel like a lot of this really only works because you have so much time to sit with these two guys. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, I, I feel like if you just, I feel like honestly, if they were to make a shorter version of this movie, that they would just probably cut the good stuff that they would have, they would have to keep all the, the cheesy narration and all the, the framework (laughs) style and all the, you know, that they would, they would, they would have to, that's what they would do to make more sense of this movie. I like, and I do like kind of the cheesiness of the film. I think it's kind of the movie magic thing. You know what I mean? It's just like, like you don't, sure. You don't need that. And, and, and it's, it's just got like a lot of G whiz cutesiness <laughs> to it. Yeah. But see, I, I like it. Cer- well, certain movies do it well and certain movies yeah. don't. Yeah, like I, I just like this it. This one does it well. I like it less when they literalize it and like yeah, it more when, it. when they just sit with the characters who are naturally doing this. Because it really works <laughs> with Tim Roth's performance, who is a lot more natural, to have yeah, these wild terrific. things coming kind of happening around him. And again, when there's when there's a great visual moment, I just find that the the framework of the movie sometimes undercuts it just because they they, they want to have a movie about the power of stories, which is yeah. which is yeah. nice, but 
you know, I don't, I don't know that it's, it's necessarily great for, you know, the visual film itself. Yeah. Um, it literally all just works because those two performances are so good and because the music is so good. And yeah, that is for really, sure. And I honestly, I feel like if there's anything they're going to cut, man, they're going to cut the length of a song and they're going to cut yeah. the scene where two guys are just sitting talking and those are all the best scenes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess we'll enter the reductive rating round on on Legend of Nineteen Hundred. Uh, Karen, for you, uh, this movie is a five for me. And oh, I Damn. think we forgot to discuss that the ending is literally that Nineteen Hundreds like I can't leave the ship and he it blows oh, up. Oh yeah, yeah. We, we, yeah. Hold on, maybe I got a little too uh, fast into that one. We should address. He, he the literally ending. goes down with the ship. We should. Yeah, they horrible. they blow yeah. it the fuck up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with and him I will on say it. the effects are a little a little shaky. Uh, at I parts. mean, this movie was made it, in 1990s. Yeah, yeah. but it works well. It works well. <laughs> yeah. I just I did notice. <laughs> but it's it is a pretty heart wrenching moment, especially seeing Max just kind of accept it. And uh, yeah, because I mean, what is really what is he gonna like do? He, punch him out and like, just oh, take my him out? Just out his died. It's like I mean, my friend got blown up. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Just because he he, he was incapable of you know kind of just escaping this bubble capable of being to. ordinary yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. Would say. way to use the slogan <laughs> nice nice nicely done but um yeah i, I do i do think it's a, a beautiful story i do think that you have a point with with some of this dialogue that does bring that kind of cheese factor but with such a such a movie magic kind of film it's it's I, it works for me i don't mind the cheese as much yeah. uh, even when it gets a little too literal for for me yeah because so it a, does but it still works so it's, right. a, it's a four for you for me it's a four, four yeah. okay for me, yeah for four. for me for me i'm gonna unfortunately i think i'm gonna go go with a three on this one and again for me it's just i i see a lot that i could really love in this movie and i think on a rewatch now that i know what the movie is i might be able to get past a lot of my hang-ups with that right, kind of stuff yeah. but again my main hang-up is simply that i feel like this movie is too much about magic and not and not the actual magic itself, which I know that both this filmmaker and these performances are capable of because there are multiple scenes of it actually. And I feel like they could have done it better in, in the actual filmmaking rather than in the, the sort of literal screenplay, which they a lot of the time resort to. And I guess that's, uh, that's unfortunately just the prestige awards Hollywood thing that you got to do. It's the biopic thing that they always do to try and get, you know, the, 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 you know, a bit of a broader uh, appeal to, it. I think why it worked for me a little more was because during the scenes that that, you know, direct dialogue, that literal dialogue is happening, usually there's still something very interesting happening while that's going on. Mm-hmm. So I can yeah. be I can accept it for just maybe the characters just having to just express it. You know what I mean? That kind of a thing. Um, yeah, there if they is were just explaining something, something like, on. you know, like let's say they just played the piano and they weren't moving around, but there was some, just some slight rocking or just something like that. But since, yeah. since they were saying it while there was something so interesting going on, yeah. uh, I, I think I forgave it. And I think that's why. Well, cause the same thing with the bit with the uh, first person who discovers America. Cause a lot of those scenes really work when you see that performer just go wide eyed and be like, America. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's very sweet. Yeah. 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 There, there's a lot of really sweet stuff in this that does work. And I, I don't want to blame it on just the fact that it's cheesy. Cause again, the stuff that I think is at genuine, Genuinely magical in this film is also cheesy. Yeah, and I I, I do I, I do like I like cheesy the tone. and magical kind of like connect yeah. when it comes to films. I mean, they definitely there's do. a Venn yeah. diagram there. To yeah, be found. yeah, there's, there's <laughs> definitely, like, yeah, there's definitely outlying things, but there, there's a connection there for sure. 
uh, yeah, so for, for for me, I think it's a three, but I could see it going up on a rewatch now that I, I have a better idea of what the movie is. And it Sweet. honestly, it also did really make me want to watch Titanic, oh, yeah. which is which <laughs> which is a movie where James Cameron, say got, what you will about him, the dude loves technology and machinery so much. No one will ever film a piece of metal as lovingly as James Cameron's films that Titanic set. He can wants I, to fuck the Titanic. Can I say, though, that there was a really good scene, and that just kind of popped in my head now, um, <laughs> was when they're parked at the, at the city, and there's, like, the skyline, and he's mm. walking on the ship on top, yeah. and there's a side-scrolling view. Mm-hmm. It almost looks like he's walking Gorgeous. through a park. Yeah. Because there's park benches on the ship, and then there's light posts. Yeah. So it's like this little thing where it's it's like he's kind of on land he's got, right he's now, got his own know? small like, version of the world exactly exactly <laughs> and i thought that that was really uh that was really cool yeah there's some good imagery in this and i i, I don't think we shouted out the cinematographer but um oh I, they don't he even have good. a list yeah. here but really it's a we, it's a that. it's a pretty gorgeous movie and the dude the dude uh does a lot of work yeah like it's great when tim roth is walking normally and max <laughs> yeah. is like you know just all over the place because the boats are <laughs> rocking and stuff the camera work yeah. is great yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that I think about does it for for this week's episode. Thanks, uh, Karen, so much for joining us and bringing these these two films. It was Phantom of the Paradise and The Legend of 1900. It was a lot of fun to talk about. Yeah, check them out. Uh, Karen, if you've got anything to plug, now is the time. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, I guess. Uh, I'm at Karen Y Han, um, and I I do a lot of writing, so I'll, you you'll see a lot of that on there, and just a bunch of dumb tweets. Um, <laughs> I don't have anything else to plug, I believe. That's about it. Yeah. Cool. Dang. Thank you guys so much for having me. Oh, of course. Thank you. Oh, awesome. Thanks for thanks for coming on. What are what are we? Uh, hold on. Before we peace out, what are we doing on what's what's next week's show? What's what's it for patrons? Star Wars. Is that what it is next week? Isn't it? Shit. Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah. Well, we get, yeah, there, for those of you Han unaware, yeah, there's a Star Wars movie coming out in theaters. And, Which uh, I'm not that and excited honestly, about, but. Back in the day before Star Wars was the biggest thing in the universe, it <laughs> was a pulp movie series. So, <laughs> yeah. so you know. Uh, it, <laughs> so we're going to talk about it, damn it. <laughs> it, it it's, it's got some good old sci-fi goodness in it. So we're going to take a look at the original trilogy of Star Wars films to coincide with with Han, Han Solo. Wait, when is that coming out? The oh. Han Solo movie? Uh, two weeks? Oh my god, okay. I always feel like it's like it's coming out in a year, but that's absolutely not sure anymore. No, it's it's coming out at the, the end of May oh, here. Oh, end of May, okay. Yeah. End of May. Jeez. Um, but yep. yeah, it's going to be, uh, but yeah, we record these episodes a little early. So this episode, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so when that comes out, we're going to be doing a star Wars episode for patrons. Uh, so again, if you want access to the bonus episodes for that one, you can go to patreoncom slash Uh, and for non patron listeners, you'll hear us again in two weeks. Hey, what are we doing? We're going to have a special guest on to talk. Hold up. Hold up. I know the movies. Taxi Driver. <laughs> Taxi Driver Beautiful. and uh, Driller Killer from Don't 1979. Don't know what that is, but the name has me intrigued. Yes. So I, I think we're doing, we're we're going, you know, we just did a little bit of a, a cutesy fun one and we're going right back into the yeah, sleaze. Yeah, I was going to say my pod was, this episode's not particularly sleazy. Well, do you know what? Phantom of the <laughs> Paradise thought, counts. Yeah. Definitely okay, counts. Okay. I think Phantom definitely had some sleaze There's, in there. There is some <laughs> nasty blood effects going on in that one. Yeah, Paul uh, Williams is definitely a sleaze. 
foosball. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Legend of 1900 was a little bit more prestige But you know what? I was glad to watch it. I'm, yeah, I'm always, I, I really I'm all, liked it. I'm, I'm always yeah, glad yeah. to see a film that... I would have uh, never watched that otherwise, just because, like, not because it's not good, just because I've never heard of it. It's, yeah. it's also lengthy, so usually that deters me at least for a few, <laughs> uh, a bit of time. But yeah, it was great. Yeah, and hopefully, hopefully if any listeners out there have been enjoying the discussion, you check out Legend of 1900 as well, because it was definitely worth so the watch. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's always worth it. Tim Roth. He's, yeah. He's, yeah. He's Come great. On. He was awesome in it. I mean, I mean, the, the last thing he was in was uh, Twin Twin Peaks, the new Twin Peaks, and he was he was a lot of fun in that. I so he was so good that. on Twin yeah, Peaks. Yeah, you need to watch that. I absolutely. It was so good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, guys, thanks so so much for joining us. Those are the next couple weeks of episodes. Uh, keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy. Do I also say it or no? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's going in. You don't, you don't have to say it at all. Just Can I keep that? <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs>